Recorded by The Way in Brea. Lead pastor Von Jarrett has a heart for the people at The Way and a desire to reach the lost. The Way's production department prays this message is a blessing to you and that you find yourself closer to God through application. Like, can we welcome home our parents? <laughs> they start screaming. It'd be awesome. Yeah, I'm excited to see all you guys today. Uh, been a rough couple of weeks. I look around and uh, I can see faces of people who uh, are struggling, but I'm so glad they're here. Uh, I see faces, uh, see my mom's face, lost her brother the, over this last week, and she's here. Um, uh, just, just seeing what God's doing, to hear Brooke testify about a, a challenge that she's going through and a friend went through or is still going through and she's here. You know, uh, my experience has been with the Lord that just being here is like 90% of the battle. Amen? All right? We just gotta, we just gotta, we gotta keep showing up, guys. Gotta keep showing up. And uh, not all of us get to get shots of steroids like Gary to get them all pumped up and in the world. You look kinda, look kinda buff today, man. Doing push-ups, reading the Bible. <laughs> so anyhow, I got a lot that I want to share with you guys this morning, so I kind of want to just jump right into it. Um, we're in the middle of our series called The Archetype. We're actually in week number six, and uh, so I'm going to catch us up real quick, and we'll get into what we have for today. Uh, the Archetype series, why, why have we gone with this? What does it mean to be an archetype? Webster's dic uh, dictionary definition says, an archetype is the original pattern or the model of which all things of the same type are representations or copies of. An archetype is most commonly used to mean a perfect example of something. So it's the best, it's the original, it's how it's intended to be, um, and everything else is a copy, right? So our series, what we've been declaring is that Jesus is the archetype of humanity, right? Uh, we're, we're going through uh, these archetypes. There's 12 different archetypes. Uh, a gentleman in the 1800s named Carl Jung gives us these personality types of these 12. But what we've said is Jesus is not just one of those 12s or these types of personalities, but humanity itself, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be human, we learn from, uh, we learn from Jesus. So here's what we've looked about uh, so far. Or here's, here's the 12. Uh, the first is a sage or a wise man. And think about yourself as we go through these, which ones you feel like this is kind of your identity. Uh, the second is the innocent or the pure. The third, the ruler. The fourth, the hero. The fifth, uh, the lover. Uh, the sixth is a jester or a joker. And then here's the ones that we've covered so far. Uh, week one, we did the caregiver, right? Jesus is the archetype of the caregiver. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to help us, to mend us, to heal us, to save us, all those types of things. We talked about how Jesus uh, allowed himself to also be cared for. This was very impactful for me and for many of you as we've talked about it, how Jesus, uh, he allowed um, himself to be anointed. He allowed, he allowed himself to be served. He allowed himself to be fed and to be cared for and to be prayed for and prayed over. Um, so not only is Jesus the caregiver, 
but part of that is allowing yourself to be cared for, right? We talked about how many of us, we know how to serve Jesus. Like a bunch of us were here early and people were selling coffee and people were cleaning the, the house of God and people were preparing communion. Like we know how to serve the Lord, but how many of us, like the disciples, know how to allow Jesus to wash our feet, right? And he says, listen, I gotta be able to serve you. I gotta be able to anoint you. I gotta be able to heal you so that you can do the things that I want you to do. You know, Gary shared that story and, and briefly, you know, um, to serve God and be obedient to God and say, I'm going to go give this to somebody no matter how it's going to make me look. That's, that's service. But the part where Jesus was serving him is where he says, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to change you. I'm going to mend you. I'm going to make you be willing to be humiliated. Right? So that's the service part that Jesus is doing. And then we serve him out of that. Right? So we saw that in week one. Week number two, we looked at the rebel. Jesus was a rebel. He did not just go with the flow. He didn't do what the church was already doing. He wasn't comfortable saying, hey, if this is how it's being done, I'll just kind of go along with that. He says, no, my father wants this different. I don't care how long this temple has been here. I'll flip the tables over and I'll run you guys out of here. This is a house of prayer. He was a rebel. He wasn't afraid to be that way. He also, even though in his rebellion, he still somehow found a way to maintain the law, right? He said, he said, look, mom, look, dad, I got to be about my father's business. But he still went home with them and served them as a 12-year-old, right? So he could rebel and stay within the law. Uh, we looked at uh, week number three. Raymond preached for us about Jesus being the archetype of the creator. Everything we see, everything we have, he made it. Uh, we talked about how everything that we see, it should draw our attention to the, to the amazement of God. He loves when we find things out, when we just look out in the world, right? We see a person, we see the stars, we, uh, we see a, a fruit tree, right? And we're supposed to look at it and say, how did this get here? And we're supposed to be thinking about the God who created it. And that's when he smiles. He says, that's why I created this stuff. I don't need it. <laughs> Jesus says, I don't need anything that I've created. I have everything that I want. I created these things for you. And then we have people that have creativity. Last night, my daughter asked me to be her, her Valentine. <laughs> so good. If I can get her to do that till she's like 25. <laughs> but she, she drew a picture. She wrote a poem. It had like pop-ups in it. And I'm thinking, I could never do any of this. But she's so creative. But I don't just look at that and say, wow, my daughter's creative. I say she has the spirit of the creator in her. Everything that we love to do, all the things that we experience, technology, art, music, it all comes from this creativity that we get from the archetype. He is the creator, and he's blessed us with that same spirit. Well done, Raymond, on that message. Um, week number four, we looked at the magician. Um, this idea of magic and bending reality and, and taking things and convincing people that uh, what they're seeing is, is real, even though you know it's fake, you know that you're being tricked, you know that there's smoke and mirrors, right? But the archetype of the magician, he's not using smoke and mirrors. He's doing actual miracles. He's changing and suspending reality. He's tilting the world in our favor. So good. He's the archetype of those things. What we want to believe in when we see magicians, right? He's actually the archetype of that. and He can do miracles. Right. And then last week, uh, catching us up to now, we looked at the orphan and how Jesus, uh, the, the scriptures say that true religion is to care for widows and to care for orphans, right? And how Jesus in, in many ways is the archetype of the orphan. He has a father, but his father is not with him, right? His father's in heaven and, and yet he's here. He has caretakers, Mary and Joseph and others, right? But those are not his real uh, parents. Later on in the scriptures, they say, Jesus, your mother and your father, I mean, see, your mother and your brothers are outside. He says, who's my mother? Who's my brother? Those who do the will of my father. What he's saying is I'm an orphan and I have brothers and sisters who are orphans, but we've been called into a different family, a heavenly family. We talked about last week uh, what a blessing it is when you get to serve, when you get to serve with your blood family and your spiritual family. 
I mentioned earlier, you know, I've got my mother here. My wife has her brother here. There's, there's a lot of family relationships. I look around, I see cousins and aunties and uncles and all those relationships, and it's special. And Jesus got to experience some of that. But at the end of the day, he said, my, my, my allegiance and my family is the family of God first. All right. His brothers didn't believe in him. One of the most amazing scriptures, his brothers tell him, hey, if, 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 uh, if you want everybody to believe in you, why don't you go up to the feast and show them what you're capable of? His brothers are talking trash to him, right? But yet he has these disciples that fully believe in him and follow him. And then later on, his brother will write uh, the book of Jude, because after, his, after Jesus dies and resurrects, that's when his actual brother, his blood brother, begins to believe in him and who he was, right? For many of us, we're still waiting for our brothers and our sisters to believe, right? And it's hard for us. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to come in here every week and love on my family of God. It's hard for me to sacrifice time to go, to go uh, minister to our family of God and know that my blood family in many cases are hurting and struggling and don't know the Lord. But I want to be like Jesus. He never said it was going to be easy. Amen? Amen. Thanks, brother. What he did say was, take up your cross and follow me. He says, either it's real and it's the most important thing that has ever happened to anybody, or it's not, and you can go do what you want to do. All right? So this morning, hopefully on, on a good note, we're going to look at Jesus as the archetype of the explorer. The archetype of the explorer. This is the definition that Carl Jung gave us for the explorer. He says that explorer is a bold traveler. They set out without a clear path, and they're always open to novelty and adventure. He says the explorer has a deep love of discovering new places and new things about themselves. So here's the question. Why did Jesus come to earth before planes, trains, and automobiles? Jesus was in the womb in Nazareth. He was born in Bethlehem. He moves to Egypt, then he moves back to Nazareth, and then he stays in that region for the rest of his life. Why is it that the Messiah would come to save the world, arrive in this Sinai Peninsula, live there, and then die after 33 years, and he only moved around within that region? I think there's something that he wants to tell us about God's timing and uh, exploring, but also being within this confined area. I've got a couple of pictures I want to go through with you. This is uh, the Earth. Uh, from a satellite, right? You got the moon here, you got the earth here, and that is Africa, Egypt. You get into the Sinai Peninsula before you get into, start moving into, the, into Asia, right? This is a close-up of the Sinai Peninsula from, from, uh, from space. So again, look, go back, please. Stay here. I'll ask you when to go forward, sir. Um, this is Egypt, and you see the Nile River. You see all the lights and all the life around this Nile River. Then you see the, the Sinai Peninsula. And then when you come up the other side there, you, where that other pocket of lights are, that's Israel, right? You can keep that one up there for a minute. And Jesus comes to the world in a time, and he only stays in that region. He's traveling around. He's exploring around, but he's only there. It's a huge world. There's so many people and so many things going on. But I think he has a reason. He has a, he has a purpose. And then that next one, just the map of Israel, where all those lights were, 
these are the different areas that you're gonna see in the time of Jesus as we go through some of this stuff today. Within that region, leave that one up there, please. Um, he goes to some interesting places and we're gonna ask ourselves why this morning. Most people in this time, they stayed in their area, they stayed with their people, they stayed with their family. Uh, even if they traveled, it was typically just to go to Jerusalem for a feast, right? They weren't going all over the place. And many people couldn't even afford to go back to Jerusalem for these feasts and these meetings, so they would literally stay in their own city. I talked to people and, and they, they've never left their city. Like they think coming to Bray if you don't live here as far. And I'm like, man, it's a, it's a big world that we can go out and see. When Jesus, we say that he's the archetype of the explorer, he went to places that were unfamiliar, he went to places that were dangerous, and he went to places that were often hostile. Jung said that there wasn't always a clear path for explorers, but I do believe that Jesus had a clear purpose in the places that he went exploring in. All right. This is Luke chapter 9, verse 51. It says, It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Right? Jesus is, is on his way to Jerusalem. He's on his way to the cross. They try to get a lodging at somebody's house and nobody will let them stay. And the disciples say, listen, we should rain down fire on these people. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you're doing. Lord, can we call down fire like Elijah? It says this. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you're of. For the son of man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went on to another village. Right. Jesus was also adventurous and full of faith when it comes to his exploration and how he would do things. This is Luke 9, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples together, gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, and he said to them, take nothing for the journey, neither staffs nor bag, nor bread nor money, and do not have two tunics apiece. Whatever house you enter, stay there, and from there, depart. Right? Jesus says, Listen, we are going on an adventure, and we're going to rough it. Don't take extra money with you. Don't take extra clothes with you. We're just going to take off, and wherever you go, somebody's going to open a door for you. Somebody's going to care for you. Somebody's going to feed you. Stay there until you're done doing what I've called you to do there, and then go on to the next place. That's an explorer's heart. <laughs> Many of us would not do that. Many of us love to plan and have everything worked out. I'm one of those people. I don't know if I could have lived like this. But the explorer that Jesus was and that he is, this was kind of his demeanor with his followers. Last thing, Jesus wasn't trying to discover new things about himself, like Jung says explorers do. But he was encountering new people and leading his disciples to see places and people differently than the way that they were raised. These people that, that he called and these people that he was leading, they were raised a certain way. They saw the world a certain way. But as they followed Jesus, they followed this explorer. He was teaching them that you guys have to see people differently. You guys have to evaluate culture differently. This is Acts chapter 10, verse 13. 
Uh, Peter says, a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, not so, Lord. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. And while Peter wondered within himself what this vision, which he had seen, meant, behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had made inquiry for Simon's house, and they stood before the gate. It's a great story. If you get a chance to read through Acts chapter 10, Jesus is already gone uh, back to heaven. The disciples are out there doing the things that God has called them to do. And Peter has this vision with these animals that come down that he's supposed to eat. And he's like, no, that's not how Jews do it. We don't eat that kind of stuff. We don't eat common things. We don't eat unclean things. We have this law of stuff that we're supposed to eat. And the Lord says, don't call anything common or unclean that I have called clean, right? And then these people from Cornelius, right, another group of people, non-Israelites, show up. And then he realizes that God is not talking about food. He's talking about people. The same things that Jesus was teaching them as he was walking with them and exploring and taking them to other cultures. God is reinforcing this with Peter in these dreams and in these visions. He says, listen, you got to see the world differently. you got to explore. you got to go out and find my people. And they're not going to look the way that you think they're going to look. And they're not going to eat what you want to eat. They're not going to talk like you talk all the time. That's the explorer. That's the architect, architect that we're going to be looking at this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and then uh, we'll move forward. Lord, help us this morning, God. We want to be explorers like you. We want to see the world like you see it. We want to see people like you see them, Lord God. We want to have our eyes open and our minds open, Lord Jesus. We want to be bold. We want to understand that at times we'll have to be in uncomfortable situations and circumstances, Lord, that we'll be at risk at times, Lord. We'll be at, in danger even at times, Lord. But that spirit that you have, Lord, you, uh, you desire that we would be filled with that same spirit, Lord. Would you show us why uh, you came when you came, Lord? Would you show us why you went where you went, Lord? And give us a greater understanding, Lord, same way that you were teaching your disciples then, Lord. We just believe that you want to teach us now, Lord. Continue to have your way, Lord. Open our eyes this morning. We want to see you just a little bit more clearly that we would be able to leave this place changed just a little bit more into your image, Lord. We love you and we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, Lord, to give unto you, to be sitting underneath your word, Lord, to be gathered together in a community, Lord, to pray and to be encouraged, Lord. Have your way in this service. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 All right. So first, like I said, I want to read a lot to you, so let's just stay engaged if we can. Number one, the explorer goes to Tyre and Sidon. The explorer goes to Tyre and Sidon. So I think we have a, a, another picture that will kind of show you where that is, Tyre and Sidon, so you can see where Jesus is traveling. I'm going to read from Mark chapter 7, verse 24. It says, from there he arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. He entered a house and wanted no one to know it, but he could not be hidden. For a woman whose young daughter had an unclean spirit heard about him, and she came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she kept asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. But Jesus said to her, let the children be filled first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. And and she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs under the table eat from the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, For this saying, Go your way, the demon has gone out of your daughter. And when she had come to her house, she found the demon gone out and her daughter lying on the bed. Good story, amen? Let me read it from Matthew. 
That one that I read to you is from Mark. And when you read through your Gospels, Mark is like just short and straight to the point. It's like the shortest of all the Gospels, and he doesn't have a whole bunch of detail. But uh, thank God for Matthew. I want to I read what he says. I think it packs a little bit more punch, and it gives us a couple more details about this woman. Matthew 15, 21, Jesus went out from there, departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Behold, a woman of Canaan came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Jesus departed from there, skirted the Sea of Galilee, and went up on a mountain and sat down there. And great multitudes came to him, having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others. And they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and he healed them. So the multitude marveled that they saw the mute speaking, the maimed made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So we get a little bit more background here uh, from Matthew. And uh, the background information is what I love most about this story. And right now, I, I see it more clearly because we're talking about Jesus as an explorer. So the map shows us that Tyre and Sidon is, uh, Jesus would have had to travel to get there, right? You see it up there from where he lives and where he's doing a lot of his ministry around the Sea of Galilee just south there, that he would have to go north, he would have to go west to get into this area. And he has this encounter with this woman. Mark, when he first talks about her, he says the woman was a Greek and a Syrophoenician by birth. Luke says that she was a woman of Canaan who came from that region, right? Greek, Syrophoenician, and a Canaanite woman. What that means is that these are the historical enemies of God. They don't have the same culture. They don't have the same values. They don't have the same laws. They don't have the same way of living um, their lives, Right? And this is a woman, uh, even, even in the Old Testament, it says Abraham and Sarah, they have Isaac, right? And when, when he's about to get married, they send him off, uh, or they send off one of their servants, and they say, go find a wife, but whatever you do, do not let Isaac marry a woman from Canaan. So just imagine what type of women are from this region. They said, we don't care where you find a wife from her, just not Canaanite. And this is the woman that, that Jesus has this encounter with when he's out exploring, out traveling, right? Verse 23 says, His disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away. She cries out after us. And he answered and said to her, It's not except, or excuse me, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So it seems like Jesus and his disciples are even on the same page here, right? We know what kind of woman she is. We know where she's from. We know her background. We don't want anything to do with her. The disciples, these men of God, they come and they say, Get rid of her. Let's get her out of here. And Jesus says to her, listen, I'm not sent for you. I'm sent for the lost children of Israel. Everybody feels the same way, even Jesus right now about her, right? Wrong. They're not on the same page. Jesus was uh, testing this woman, and he was testing his disciples because that's what Jesus does. All right? The explorer says to uh, his disciples, do you really think I brought you all the way out here to degrade women and to degrade Greeks? and to degrade Canaanites? Is that why we left? Is that why we came all the way out here exploring? No, it's not. I'm trying to teach you something. 
He said to her, I was not sin except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But then she came worshiping. Remember, first she comes asking, right? Lord, help my daughter. He says, no, I'm only sin for the lost children of Israel. Then it says she came worshiping and said, Lord, please help me. And he answered, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to little dogs. She said, yes, Lord, even the little dogs eat crumbs from their master's table. And then he said to her, woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. I often say about this, this uh, um, uh, story that Jesus humiliates this woman. I don't think a lot of us look at the Lord that way, but he is humiliating her. Imagine a woman coming to ask for help. She walks into a room with 13 men, 12 disciples and Jesus. And then he begins to tell her, I'm not here for you. I'm only here for the lost children of Israel. And she starts worshiping him. But Lord, but Lord, you got to help me. And he says, listen, I have food, but it's not, it's not for little dogs like you. It's for the children of Israel. And then she says, yeah, but, but Lord, even dogs eat crumbs from their master's table. He is humiliating her in front of everybody. And we think we know Jesus. But it's after that she's willing to be humiliated that we see something important here. She knows, we know that she knows this because we're watching what she's doing. She knows that her only hope is Jesus. Can you see that? Many of us would not put up with this from anybody. But you know what she knows? If he doesn't help my daughter, she won't be helped. And I don't care what that costs me for the healing I want, for the deliverance I want, for the change and transformation in my life and in my daughter's life. I don't care about being humiliated. I know that he's the source of everything I want and everything I need. I think she shows us that Jesus is preparing us for humiliation as well. When you give your life to the Lord, plan on being humiliated. Think about this for a second. If, if this happens well for her and her daughter's healed, she's never going to be the same. Somebody say amen. amen. She's going to know the power of God. Say amen. amen. She's going to be wanting to look for and follow Jesus. Say amen. amen. And you know what that's going to cost her? It's going to cost her her culture. It's going to cost her her friendships. Potentially it's going to cost her her family. Anybody recognize that this has happened to you? <laughs> Lost a couple friends, a couple family members? You, you ever... You ever uh, Go to, a, go to a church event and get a text message. I don't want to talk to you anymore because you still want to be a Christian. <laughs> like, it's the scriptures. What you're experiencing is what we're reading. He's not doing this to, to say that she's worthless. He's not doing this to say, yeah, we and the disciples, we don't care about her. She's a Greek, Phoenician, uh, Canaanite. No, what he's saying is like, this is the cost. This is what it costs. It costs you everything to gain everything. The explorer went out there for a reason. Wanted to show his disciples something. Wanted to show this woman something. <clears throat> then he said to her, great is your faith. I love that he, uh, he took the disciples out exploring to teach them something. He says, I came to save everybody. This ain't about us and, and our little culture and our little corner of the world. It's for everybody. And the disciples could have easily missed this if Jesus wasn't willing to be an explorer and take them places that they had never been before and the cultures that they had never been a part of before. So number one, the explorer goes to Tyre and Sidon. Number two, the explorer goes to Sychar in Samaria. This is John chapter four. 
Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, even though Jesus had himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again to Galilee, but he needed to go through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph, and Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water, springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water that I may not thirst, nor come here to draw. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you have well said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one whom you now have is not your husband. In that you spoke truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> this story is so good. There's a couple of things. I, I won't stay on this for, for long, but one of the things I love about the story is where she says, you don't even have anything to draw from, right? She says, the well is deep and you don't have anything to draw from. What can you give me? And a lot of times this is how we look at Jesus. What does the church have to offer me? What does Jesus have to offer me? I remember that's what I used to say about the church before I got saved. And just think about it in your own life and think about it in the lives of others. We don't think that God, we don't think that Jesus has anything to offer us. And that's what this woman is saying when she meets him face to face at a well. She says, the well is deep. My issues run deep. My drama runs deep. My hurts run deep. My brokenness runs deep. And you don't even have a bucket. What can you do for me? Things begin to change the more he talks to her though, right? I perceive that you're a prophet. Verse 20, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. And you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth on Friday night at praying in the spirit services. <laughs> I added that part. But it's spirit and truth. That's why we do it. It's not just because it sounds cool. Amen? Amen. Amen. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, and he's called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples came, and they marveled that he talked with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? The woman then left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, isn't it funny how the, the women are always leading the men to the Lord? 
Isn't it cool how this woman, she encounters Jesus and she completely forgets everything else that she had going on. I don't want the water pot anymore. I don't care about the well anymore. I got to go tell somebody about Jesus. So she goes, where are we at? Said to the men, verse 28, now 29, come see a man who told me all things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Then they went out of the city, came to him, and in the meantime, his disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to, to eat of which you do not know. Therefore, the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him anything to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. For they're already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Say good story. story. Say true story. Ah, oh, I love it. This woman. Samaria is another land of enemies, right? Every year, we hear that Jesus went back to Jerusalem at 12, but every year, every time he has to go from where he lives in Nazareth to go to Jerusalem for all these feasts, you have to pass through Samaria to get down here to Judea, where, where uh, Jerusalem and Bethlehem is. In the scriptures, when you read it, it says that a lot of times they would go around, they would take other routes, because they don't even want to be in the same land as these people. They're enemies, right? <clears throat> Jesus meets this woman... And she can't even believe that he's talking to her. It's taboo for Jews to talk to Samaritans. It's taboo for men to talk to women in this environment. And these dang disciples. Number one, they missed the whole situation because they're off buying food, right? And then just like most disciples, myself included, they come back and they think they know everything. They're like, Lord, uh, why are you talking to her? What are we doing here? And Jesus says, listen, you missed a whole bunch of stuff that I'm doing. Just, just follow me. Do what I'm asking you to do here. The disciples are on a journey, though. Somebody say amen. amen. Discipleship is a journey. His disciples urged him, saying, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food of which you do not know. And they start asking, who brought him food and what did he eat? And he's like, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about heavenly things. You guys are hungry, and I'm trying to save somebody's soul. I'm trying to change a community. I'm trying to change generations. And you guys are not seeing it. You're not understanding what it is that I'm actually doing here. And then he goes into this situation with them about fields and harvest. And he's saying, listen, groundwork has already been laid here, and now it's time to harvest. You didn't even have to do the work. All I need you 12 to do is just be here with me and just be praying. They're already ready to be saved. They're already ready to be changed and transformed. And when they start talking, I need you, to, you 12 just to be ready to engage them about who I am and what I'm doing. Sometimes in the church, we think that we're laboring so hard. And the reality is we are harvesting from the labors of others who came before us. 
Other people were praying for your friends and your family. Somebody else was praying for me before I went into a church and gave my life to the Lord, and then I was led in that particular place, right? They were harvesting the labors of somebody else. The labor that we do do, you heard about Sidewalk Sanctuary. We're going to go out and feed people next Sunday or two Sundays from now, whenever it is. We're going to tell them about Jesus. They probably are not going to come to our church, but one day when they do come into the kingdom, somebody else is going to harvest from our labors. It's a principle that you find in the, in the scriptures. And Jesus is saying, listen, we're traveling. We are exploring. We're going to these places that seed has already been, been sown and watered. And we're just going to harvest. And he's like, disciples, I need you to get it. But we're so frustrated in the day-to-day stuff that's going on in our lives that we can't see it. Many of us know the scripture where Jesus says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. I know for me, there's been times where I feel like church is so hard and God is so hard and life is so hard. But when you read the scriptures, I feel like Jesus is doing jumping jacks and saying, I can't make it any more easy than this. I'm doing all the work. I was the one on the cross. My spirit is awakening these people to who I am. All I need you to do is just be there and hug them when it happens. (laughs) That's what he's telling his disciples. And they're like, hey, forget about this girl in this well. Let's go have dinner. Jesus says it's a worldwide harvest. We've got to be willing to explore new lands and new people. Yeah. So let's look at this woman for just a moment, then we'll move on. It's one of my favorite encounters and some of my favorite words that Jesus ever spoke when he was here. Um, this woman's broken. She has a broken past. Um, she has a broken present. And Jesus went looking for her. Yeah. Right? When you read the scriptures, don't think that there's anything that happens by chance. Like, Jesus went looking for her. It wasn't like a happenstance, right? She's waiting for the Messiah, but she doesn't really know who she's waiting for, right? Because when he starts talking to her, she says, hey, we're waiting for the Messiah. He's going to come. He's going to do all this kind of stuff. But she doesn't really understand who it is that she's actually waiting for. There's a lot of people who are looking for God, but they don't know who they're actually looking for. He could be right there in front of them. He could be in the building next door during a Sunday morning. He could be at one of their best friend's house because they're doing Bible study in the middle of the week, but they don't know each other that way. This woman is looking for the Messiah, but doesn't know what she should be looking for, right? Jesus says this to her in verse 22, you worship what you do not know, but we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. Remember, he's telling his disciples, like, look, you guys know, I just need you to help people to see me, see what they're looking for. They're already looking. I just need you to tell them what they're looking for. He said that to the Jews. And now the church, we have to say the same things to ourselves. We know. And he's looking for us to be able to share with others. Jesus tested her when it came to her being honest about her past and her present. Right. He asked her about uh, her husband. Go get your husband. I love that Jesus tests. We saw in the first example, if you read the scriptures yourself, you'll see it. He's constantly testing. He knows the answer, right? He knows her situation, but he doesn't just tell her her situation. He says, hey, uh, go get your husband and come back and we'll finish our conversation. She says, uh, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus goes hard. <laughs> he, doesn't like, he doesn't say, hey, um, all right, uh, what do you mean you don't have a husband? Is this something that you want to talk about? He says, no, you're right. You don't have a husband. You're sleeping with somebody that you're not married to, and you already had five husbands. <laughs> and we get mad when people tell us the truth about ourselves. 
Jesus goes hard and tells her all this stuff about herself. What's so cool about Jesus, though, is you could tell from her response that he's able to have this conversation in a way where she still feels loved, she feels protected, she feels cared for, but her business is all out there, right? She's like, dang, I'm glad I'm out here by myself at the well. (laughs) Keep it down, Jesus. (laughs) So he tells her all this stuff, but listen to her response. He does this in a way that compels her to consider the other things that he said. Let me say that again. The way that he deals with her right now about her past and her present and what she's involved in, it doesn't make her run for the hills. What it makes her do is say, okay, he knows all this stuff. He's obviously someone or something special. And then what she does is she says, what else did he say? He said something about living water. He said something about never thirsting again. He said something about like he knows the father and and there's something about he spirit and worship. She begins to think, what else did he say? Because I should probably pay attention to what he said. This is the climax of their encounter, for me at least. Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. It's my favorite words. You'll hear me say that again. But right now, these are my favorite words of Jesus. Because I can just, I've been there, right? There's nothing like the moment where you're face-to-face with Jesus and he tells you, I am the Messiah. There's nothing like the moment when you're spirit-to-spirit. Maybe many of us don't picture it visually like this woman was face-to-face with him and he said, I am he. I'm the Messiah. The one you're waiting for has arrived. Wait no more. But in the spirit, that's what it means to be saved is that you came spirit-to-spirit with Jesus and he told you, I am he. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one that has the answers. I'm the one you're supposed to worship. I'm the one that's going to heal you. I'm the one that's going to teach you all things. The explorer came looking for her, just like he went looking for the other woman, just like he came looking for me, and just like he goes looking for you. He's teaching his disciples then. He's teaching his disciples now that he's still exploring. We don't even know this woman's name. She's just a Samaritan woman at a well. We don't even know her name. You know how many nameless people there are out there that Jesus is going after? I was uh, meeting with a few of the men this week from the church, and we had a good conversation, had a little Bible study and different things going on, and I I told them, like, I don't want to talk about X's and O's with you. I don't want to talk about the base things of Christianity. Like, they're important. God is a God of order and structure. He told, he told Noah, look, man, I got a blueprint of how I want this ark built. Don't mess it up. <laughs> like a lot of details. So God's in the details. Don't get me wrong. But why are we still talking about the, the normal, simple, read your Bible, pray, um, pray with your spouse, give into the kingdom. Like, I don't want to talk about that stuff all the time anymore. What I want to talk about is what God is doing in people's lives, what the needs are in the community of God, how we can be used to serve the Lord in a way that people can come from death and into life, the people who are getting saved, the people who are getting baptized, how do we care for them? How do we lead them? How do we tend to their needs? That's what I want to be talking about. And Jesus is telling his disciples the same thing here, like, why are we talking about bread 
and the store and I'm hungry and you're hungry. He's like, this woman was dead when you guys went to the store and now she's alive and this whole community is about to come to life and you guys are missing it. Our God is an explorer, amen? amen. Give me just a few more minutes. I have two more points, but I think we're gonna cut it down to one. <clears throat> this is the last one. The explorer goes to gathering. The explorer goes to gathering. This is uh, known as the Gentile Decapolis. It's 10 cities that belong to the Gentiles, over to the right there. So he's left from, from uh, Galilee, the Sea of Galilee, uh, Capernaum, where his, his uh, home base is, does a lot of his ministry, Nazareth, where he's born, and he's gone to all these different places. Um, but here in Gathering, Luke chapter 8, verse 19. <clears throat> his mother and brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. And it was told him by some who said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now it happened on a certain day that he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, or excuse me, yeah, he, he fell asleep, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we're perishing. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where is your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but he lived in the tombs at the cemetery. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, the Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. This isn't the man. This is the demons within the man crying out and screaming like, Why are you here? You're not supposed to be over here in the ten cities of the Gentiles. You're supposed to be over there with the Jews on the other side of Galilee. Verse 29 for he commanded that the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not co uh, command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine or pigs was feeding there on the mountain, and they begged him that he would permit them to enter the pigs, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake, and they drowned. When those who fed the pigs saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus, and he found the man, and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them, told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. 
Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So it was when Jesus returned that the multitude welcomed him for they were all waiting for him. Another good story. Jesus goes into the 10 cities of the Gentiles. And a part of the lesson here, for me at least, is that uh, they are very, very far from God. They're completely possessed and without knowledge of God, right? These Gentile cities, these 10 cities, the Decapolis, uh, this man is severely demon-possessed, but I think it's a, a greater picture of what it means to be a Gentile and to be far from God. Our story in Tyre and Sidon with this woman um, who wanted her daughter healed, she had a, a conceptual understanding of who God was, right? Doesn't say that she called him Lord, that she came saying, help me, Lord, Lord, master, master, heal my daughter. I'll be a, I'll be a, a dog if I need to and, and eat up these crumbs. But she had this understanding of God and the children of God, right? Same thing with the Samaritan woman. She had an understanding of God and the things of God. She lived in the place where Jacob's well was. There was some history there of the things of God. But in this Gentile area across the sea, there's, there's godlessness and there's deep depravity. There's no, there's no remnant of something holding on because the things of God were not there to begin with, right? I think we're supposed to kind of take note of that, what it really means to be a Gentile. <clears throat> But the, uh, the explorer here, he goes to this completely possessed man who has a legion, a legion of demons running amok within his life. But he's not afraid to go to the worst places. Our explorer is capable of saving and restoring the most wicked of us. Amen. Right? Doesn't just go to the easy places. Goes to the hard places. Doesn't just go to the civilized neighborhoods. He goes to the ghettos and the hurting neighborhoods as well. I think I was a lot like this particular Gentile. There was not an area of my life that the enemy hadn't made himself at home in. This, this man says, it's the first man in our story, number one. He's a Gentile man, and he has a legion of demons in him. And I remember being like that every area of my life, perversion, addiction, drugs, alcohol. I was a liar. I was a thief. I was shady. Like, all, all those things. Like, if somebody had a said, like they said to Gary, you stole my thing, I'd have to be like, yeah, man, I, I took it. <laughs> I did. <laughs> and I just remember being completely consumed. And, and one of the things that actually led me to the Lord, my beautiful wife that she would become, she started telling me, like, you don't have any more friends. You don't have anybody that's going to hang out with you. I'll hang out with you, but you got to go to church. And I remember at that particular time thinking to myself, before she started inviting me to church, I was like, I'll do anything right now. Like, there, I used to have some morals. There used to be things that I would not get involved in, and I could feel it in myself. Like, there's nothing I pretty much won't try at this point. Completely possessed by the enemy, right? Completely depraved, and that's where we find this man. <clears throat> Paul said that he was chief among sinners, right? But that was before I came. That was before you came, <laughs> Jesus goes exploring and gathering for these type of people. He came exploring in Southern California for me. He goes exploring for these type of people all over the world. So I want to share my favorite parts of this story with you guys, and then we'll close. My favorite parts are not the legion, right? 
It's not the pigs that uh, these demons go into, a whole herd of pigs and these demons go out of, out of uh, uh, this man and they go into these pigs and the pigs go rushing down into the water, which I think is, is pretty funny, just in the sense that like, Jesus is probably like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll take you, I want to go into the pigs and then they dive into the water and drown. Here it is, verse 35. Then they went to see what had happened to this man and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also who had seen it told them by what means he who had been demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. He got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house. Tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. So these three things. Number one, he was sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. When Jesus touches you, when Jesus heals you, when Jesus changes and transforms you, after he explores to come and find you, it's impossible, if you ask me, not to be found sitting at the feet of Jesus. He was clothed. He was in his right mind. The, the thought of not being around Jesus, the thought of not being around the community of believers that were following Jesus was more than this person could handle. And it didn't take all, these, all this time. No, I've met him. He's changed me. I'm going to be at his feet. Amen. It's because of him that I'm clothed. It's because of him that I'm in my right mind. If you're looking for me now, look for Jesus, and when you find him, there I'll be. There's so many other peripheral things going on in this story, but to me, this is the heart of it. He went exploring to find this man, and now this man is intent on following him. Second thing that I think is important for us to understand here is that the whole multitude of the surrounding region asked what happened. They begin to hear what happened. It says that they were seized with great fear, and they asked him to depart. This, to me, I remember the first time I read this story, like, I couldn't get my mind wrapped around it. Now I have a little bit better understanding this Gentile world that they live in. But Jesus has come. There was a man that slept in the cemetery. He's been changed and transformed. And the people who are on the outside looking at the change and transformation in this man's life say, please leave, Jesus, before you change us for the better. And we wonder why. We get saved, and our family doesn't throw us a party. <laughs> I remember when I got saved, I thought, everybody's going to be so happy. My life is going to be changed. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a better friend. I'm going to be a better son. I'm going to be a better man. Like, this is going to be amazing. And nobody was excited because they're thinking, Lord, please don't do to me what it looks like you're doing to him. I still want to live like this. I want to stay in the cemetery. I want to stay in the club. I want to stay addicted. I want to stay a liar. I want to stay all these things. And if you stay here, we can now see that you're going to change some things. So you got to go and Vaughn's got to go too. Why are we surprised? If you're reading your scriptures, these things shouldn't surprise us. They asked him to leave. And here's the, here's the part that I think is important for us to realize. It says that Jesus got into the boat and he returned to the other side. If you don't want Jesus... He ain't going to just hang around waiting. He says, there's other people that actually want me. What did it say when he got back to the other side? They were waiting for him. And they were happy that he was back because he just fed them. He had just healed a bunch of them. And then they wake up in the morning like, where is he? He took off to go to 
the Decapolis, to the super broken, to the super damaged, to the super hurting. But they, wet, they, they waited patiently for his return. I don't know who I feel like more for, those who had to wait for him to come back or those who sent him away. People think that we invite them to church because we're somehow better than them. People think that we want the things of God for them and we're calling them or texting them or inviting them. Hey, the men are getting together. Expect to get a text message from me because I want you to be there. Why? Because pastor wants to control me. Pastor says that he's better than me. No, it's because like we need him. And what you're doing by, by not sitting at his feet, what you're saying is, please go back to the other side. And it breaks my heart. Last one. <clears throat> the man from whom the demons had departed begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. So here's this man who was jacked up and tore up all these years, finally meets Jesus, gets his life changed and transformed. He's sitting there at his feet and like eating with him and receiving from him. And then Jesus gets up with the 12 and he's like, all right, here's my 12. We're going back. And then he's like, all right, it's going to be 13 now. <laughs> I'm, I'm with you guys, right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 you got to stay here. That's tough. Jesus says, look, this Decapolis is jacked up and tore up. You know, when I, when I left the woman at the well, I left her there. And she helped these others come to faith, and then those others changed that community by continuing to serve me and to talk about me. When I sent that woman home with her daughter, when she came back to thank me, I was gone already. I left her there to share her testimony and to change that area. It's the same with you. I know I'm leaving you in a dark place over here in the Decapolis, but you tell your friends, you tell your family, my spirit is with you. They will come out of death and into life. And then you guys gather together and you remind each other about who I am and what I've done in your lives. The explorer has reasons for exploring. The explorer has purposes beyond what we can often understand. But one thing I think we see consistently is that he's teaching his disciples what it means to be a disciple. He's changing the world community after community after community and one community at a time, one person at a time. Right? He sees the lost in their brokenness, and he's not afraid. He goes pursuing them. And then he asks us to be a part of what he's doing. This is the heart of the explorer. Carl Jung says that they have no plan. They have no purpose. They just like new stuff. Jesus says, no, the archetype of the explorer has a plan. He has a purpose. He wants his disciples to see new people and new cultures and new opportunities to see uh, the spirit of God moving and working. So I'm skipping number four. I'm going to close. Worship team, if you guys can come. <clears throat> so if you want to read it yourself, number four was uh, about John chapter 11. And uh, it's the story of Lazarus being raised. And it's down in Bethany in the south. The explorer goes south. And I wanted to share that with you guys because I was at a funeral yesterday. And funerals always make me think about John chapter 11. They always make me think about um, Lazarus in this situation, this circumstance. Um, but not because he raises him from the dead and, and all that kind of stuff. It's because um, Jesus is at a funeral. 
He shows up in town and everybody's crying. Everybody's broken. Everybody's hurting and they can't believe it. And the believers, Mary and Martha, they're like, Jesus, where were you? <laughs> if you would have been here, this wouldn't have happened. This group of people, Mary, Martha, their brother Lazarus, they live in Bethany. It's the furthest south from where he lives in Nazareth and in Galilee. And just this idea that, that Jesus has friends. Some of his closest friends physically live the farthest from him. Spiritually, I don't know how it is for you. I have a lot of my closest friends are here in this church, but I have a few that live across the world. And it's just a reminder of what distance means to God is not what it means to us. But that's where we read the scripture that Jesus wept. And the people that were there said, look, he's weeping because he loved Lazarus so much. But I don't believe that's why he was weeping. He was weeping because he was at a funeral and he saw the aftermath of what death leaves behind. Right? Like, he knew Lazarus. He knew Lazarus loved him. He knew Lazarus was going to be raised. He even told the sisters, he's going to be raised. Don't even worry about it. What he was crying for is he's like, look at all you people who are here and you're broken. He's gone and he's, he's on his way to heaven, but you guys are weeping. You guys are crying. You guys are sad. You guys are questioning me if, if I would have been here and all these types of things. Jesus wept. The end of that story, after Jesus raises Lazarus, the journey to the cross gets accelerated. It's like it hit the nitro button. Jesus was doing all these things, going to all these places, healing people, doing all this stuff. But when he raised Lazarus from the dead, all of a sudden, everything just gets accelerated. There's this uproar in the city. People are like, man, we want Jesus dead. We want Lazarus dead. More people are coming to faith in that moment than any, any time before in his ministry, right? And you know what it says? It says that the, that the explorer departed and he went into a wilderness. Went into this wilderness, uh, John eleven fifty four. Just him and his disciples, and it says that his public ministry was done after that. It would just be him and the disciples and some private things that he was doing on his way uh, to the cross. And I want to share that just to, just to say the big picture of the explorer is this. Born in Bethlehem, he goes into Egypt. Bethlehem is right near Jerusalem. It's, it's the heart of the city of peace. It's, it's where everything happens in the scriptures, right? The, the heart of the promised land. He goes into Egypt, which represents sin, uh, bondage, enslavement, being far from God. He starts there, even as a baby, right? And the foreshadowing is this. Jesus has to go into the place of death and destruction and bondage and slavery in order to bring his people out. They don't just come out, he brings them out, right? You fast forward to the end of his life and the same thing is about to happen. He goes into this wilderness on his way to the cross because he's got to go into these places in order to bring his people out. We know John 3:16. it says that he came out of heaven and he came into this place in order to bring his people out. This explorer, if you follow his journey, you follow his steps, uh, where he went and why he went and what he did when he was there, uh, I think it'll make you continue to fall deeper and deeper in love with him. I think it'll awaken the spirit of the explorer that's in you, the spirit of the explorer that's in me. And it may just be a trip to your friend's house. It may be a trip to, to uh, maybe some of the activities that your kids are involved in. It may be a trip into the community on a Sunday morning, uh, but you'll just have that understanding that we're not going to these places by accident. We're not in relationship with these people by accident. God is up to something. 
God is up to something. <clears throat> he goes into these places, these dark places, these dangerous places, to call people out of death and then into life. He leaves them there to change those areas, but then he calls his disciples to be a part of what he's doing. So bow your heads with me. Close your eyes for just a second. And maybe this one of you just picture Jesus exploring. Picture him walking from place to place. He could have came in a time with planes, trains, and automobiles, but he decided to come at a time where he would walk from place to place, where he would discuss with his disciples along that journey what was happening, where they were going, all kinds of things that they could learn. And then picture him in this process of exploring. He, he meets this woman in Tyre and Sidon who's got a daughter. He seems to be humiliating her, but actually he's saving her. And then he keeps walking. He keeps this journey going. And he sees this woman at a well. And he seems to be exposing her and all of her sin and all of her past. But actually he's protecting her and he's clothing her. He's stripping those things away and he's putting righteousness upon her. Then he keeps walking and he keeps this journey going. And he meets this man that nobody wanted to be around because he was so broken, so filled and so empowered by the demonic that nobody wanted to be around him. And soon as Jesus steps foot on the shore, the man comes running to him and Jesus rebukes the enemy, frees that man, sets him all the way free. He's clothed, he's in his right mind, he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, never to be the same. And then Jesus keeps walking and he keeps walking. And then all of a sudden there he is face to face with you. Maybe you weren't quite sure what he would look like or what it would feel like or what that invitation would sound like, but here you are. He's face to face with you. He knows everything about you. He knows everything you've done, everything you're doing, everything you will do. You're fully exposed. Part of you has this feeling of fear and anxiety, this feeling of uncertainty, but the other part is saying, man, I hope he can do what I've heard he can do. I hope what others have told me is true, is actually true. And then he just asks you the same question he asked many. He went to a man sitting outside a pool and he said, do you want to be made well? What a question to come from Jesus. Do you want to be made well? In Gadarene, they didn't want to be made well. They asked him to leave. They said, we see that you can do, we see that you're here, but we don't want to be made well, please leave. But Jesus would ask, what do you want me to do for you? He would ask, do you want to be made well? Because salvation is not something that's forced upon us. It's something that we have to desire, that we have to want. And then it's given to us freely. So there you are, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. And if this morning you know that you've never given your life to Jesus, you know that you've never asked for forgiveness of your sins, you know that you've never asked for a new life and to be able to start over and to go in a new direction and to sit at the feet of Jesus only you know. The scriptures say that I don't know and nobody else knows. You know the truth. But I promise you, if you want it this morning, you can have it. You can be saved. You can be forgiven. 
God will come in and confirm that salvation to you. You will have a river of living water that grows inside of you. You'll never thirst again for salvation. He'll teach you slowly but surely, day by day, week by week, month by month. He'll disciple you and guide you because that's who he is and what he does. He came exploring for you. All you have to do is say, Lord, here I am, save me. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you, that we can pray with you, that our brothers and sisters come into the faith. You want to be saved, amen. Sis, I see you. Hallelujah, Lord. Today's your day. Dining at the feet of Jesus. Anybody else this morning? Today's your day. Just raise your hand where you sit. We'll pray with you. We'll pray for you. Amen. Hallelujah, Lord. Nothing like salvation. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Stand with us. We're going to pray and then we're going to uh, worship and we're going to have communion. I was nowhere you came to my rescue. From the grave I've been raised When I needed a savior to save me Jesus, you made a way For listening. The Way would love you to visit our church at 451 West Lambert Road, Suite 204 in the city of Brea. Our service times are Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. and Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.thewaybrea.com or you can download our church app by visiting your app store and searching The Way Brea. Be blessed.